So I've been thinking about a few things and, and, and wrapping our thoughts up here and, and finishing up our, our thoughts here. So a couple of things. One, actually it does throw me off a little bit thinking about some of these, some of these kids, Benassi kids, for kids, but college students, um, been asking about different ways of helping. So I did have a notebook here. The notebook here has two things. One, it has missions, equipping class, name and email. If you're missing notes or you want me to just send you a digital copy, I could just write your email there and I'll send you a digital copy of, of, of all the notes easier that way. Um, I put down mission volunteer as well because uh, I'll, maybe I'll bring this up near, near the end, talking about some of the ways we can get involved as a church and how do you um, – Promote missions, keep missions before the church, how do you communicate missions? I believe Mark uh, may have spoken some of that as well, and, and uh, communicating missionaries. I appreciate Mark Jacobson's covering for me in my absence. So I'll just hold on to this. Afterwards, afterwards, since there are not very many people here, afterwards you could just put down, if you have notes missing, you want the rest of the notes, write your name down here. And I put down mission volunteer, and I'll explain that near the end, near the end as well. So Page 52 begins, is our fourth chapter, and before I start there, I want to quote from a book that I was reading on this last trip. I was traveling to Israel, took a book with me, and started reading uh, a newer, a new mission book, talking about some of the encouraging missions, and it's, I think it's going towards a... I'm not going to say a newer trend, but at least an awareness of making sure that we're doing missions well. And he addresses some of that in – I haven't finished the book, so you can't borrow it yet. But um, some of the intro part I, th- I found in- interesting. He talks about just the importance here in our last chapter as we're talking about missions, understanding God's sovereignty in missions. We're talking about the um, strategic missions. We're talking about the qualifications of a missionary, and we address some of these things today. A lot of times when I meet with uh, with the young people interested in missions, I met with one person this past week talking about, you know, how do I test my motives? Am I, are my motives pure? And uh, am I go, do I want to be involved in missions for the right reasons? And talking about, about ministry, a lot of these things would help the, uh, process some of these questions as well. So let me read a few quotes from, from Elliot Clark, Mission Affirmed. Um, he says... I'll read a few quotes here I thought were helpful. It says, perhaps it goes without saying, but Americans don't do well with delays. So <laughs> first thing he addresses is, you know, we're, we're, we want things done well, and we want them done now, quickly. And that's one thing you notice when you go to, to Israel, you just realize, wow, it's not just Israel, but many other places where they took a long time to build things. We don't think in terms of building things that take a long time. He says, we live in an age of two-day delivery when you receive just about anything essential or non-essential item at your doorstep within 48 hours. And if you're ordering milk or cookies, it might only be a matter of minutes. Western Christians also come from a more task-driven and time-conscious culture. Relationships and partnerships, while valued, aren't primary. Maybe most significant of all, few of us operate with a long-term vision. Prudence and patience are social virtues of the past. Our consumeristic culture has given rise to a throwaway culture. We value novelty and immediacy more than durability. Just a reminder, he says, hey, we we live in a culture that that is – we want things done expediently. So we don't think in terms of what's durable, how to lay the right foundation uh, to last. We think of – how to get things done quickly and efficiently in, from our perspective. He says this phenomenon might be the most obvious in modern architecture. We, what we build today is gone tomorrow. We don't construct edifices that remain or survive. Gone are the days of cathedrals and castles. Instead, we erect shopping malls and shanties that within our lifetime will be flattened by wind or wrecked by a wrecking ball. The same could be said of Christian missions. It would be foolish to assume that our prevailing culture atmosphere doesn't in some way influence the way we envision overseas ministry. In missions, he says, we recruit missionaries with urgency 
not towards longevity. We tend to go fast, or we don't go at all. We invest untold material and personal resources to help others in the short term, but do so in ways that often hurt them in the long run. We start countless programs and projects only to watch many fizzle out and die. And while our missionary mantra of late has been, work yourself out of a job, one has to wonder if a more appropriate goal would be build something that lasts. It'd be foolish to think that we're not influenced by our culture, the way we perceive missions and how we approach things. And, and, and a lot of what we're, we've been trying to build here is how do you establish it? It's, it's not diminishing or trying to cast a shadow on how missions has been done or is done. It's the question of how do you build to last? And I'm thankful that more and more questions have been asked around that question. There was a, a, a generation that it was just, hey, just get out there and go. And now the generation, what, what, are, what are you doing? And how do we build and he gives some, some uh, helpful, thought-provoking questions here. He, he, he speaks a little bit later. He talks about, uh, if you recall, some of you would recall, you know, George Bush declared the war in Iraq, you know, mission accomplished after six weeks of intensive war. And he kind of makes, he, he, he references that uh, by, by talking simply um, how, he said there's one thing in history, the context is that, you know, you know, basically after six weeks' war, we're saying mission accomplished, we've accomplished our goals. He said there's one thing in history should teach us is that commitments to speed and blind self-confidence rarely combine to produce appreciable results. You know, just because we're confident and we go fast and we put a lot of power behind it doesn't mean that we're going to produce appreciable results. One of the curious dynamics of Western culture is the odd marriage of these competing characteristics. On the one hand, we like to live in the moment. We prefer to do things fast. On the other, we seem to have incredible confidence in ourselves and the staying power of our efforts. In my experience, he says, these characteristics also shape much of our missionary enterprise. My concern, and one reason for writing this book, he says, is that we're living in a time in global missions today when the gospel and faithful ministry are threatened by the tyranny of the urgent. We're driven by a vision of mission accomplished, and to that end, we're often sacrificed the important for the immediate, the best for the most pressing. And over the last few decades, as our focus has been on reaching the unreached and finishing the task, we've increasingly prioritized rapid reproduction with a programmatic and results-driven focus that looked more like Western capitalism and business franchising than genuine Christ-like servanthood and faithful stewardship. He says so much more that, that I thought was helpful, but what he, what he addresses here is simply, uh, he actually, he, he uses a statement that I used in my notes from another author, is, you know, just doing something is not good enough. What are we doing and how are we building and are we doing it well and doing it to last? So he challenges that in the first part of the book I thought very helpful. So roughly in review, going back to page 52, we, this last chapter of the church as grounds for healthy missions. How do we develop healthy missions within the church? The first part we address is sovereign missions, meaning understanding that God is a sovereign God in missions. He addresses that, I think, interestingly enough in the book by talking about we're often the tyranny of the urgent. It's the idea of, you know, I've got to do something, I've got to do it now, no matter what it is, uh, without, without taking into account that God's fulfilling his purposes and God sovereignly is not in desperate need of me to come rescue him and his plan. And much of missions has been driven by this idea that we're going to come rescue God and uh, the importance of a sovereign mission. Page 53, up and down, God himself empowers and ultimately accomplishes the mission. The missional task is daunting from a human perspective, but it is far exceeded by the magnitude of the biblical promise God has given to secure the final triumph of this gospel, even to the ends of the earth. So there's two aspects of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is not something that's demobilizing, where because we're confident in his sovereignty, so we, we, we sit back and we're, we contemplate what he's going to do. But there's great peace in knowing that he's in ultimate control, and that though I am called, he, he uses human means to fulfill his purposes, I ultimately rest in his ability. Because when I don't do that, then I, re I respond to missions in an unhealthy way. I take things to my own hands. I, I, I have the idea that the end justifies the means. Well, it was good, and everybody had a good time, and everybody felt good, so it must have been good. 
And we, we process things wrongly when we start taking upon ourselves what God has promised to accomplish and not trusting him to fulfill things. You have to be confident that God's going to do things within uh, his purposes and, and trust him in doing so. We talked about them on page 54, strategic missions. I put four, uh, you know, how, how do you consider strategic missions, meaning going beyond the question, uh, do I just go? And, hey, at least they're going. At least they're doing something. Don't you see that a lot in politics today? I mean, we, they offer a lot of laws that people say, well, that's not going to solve the problem. Well, at least we're doing something. And missions has been reasoned out that way as well. Well, at least we're doing something. And if, if we're doing something, who, who are we to criticize those doing something? And so that, that uh, approach has been uh, unhelpful and unhealthy a uh, number of times. But strategic missions, I put down a few things here. How to be strategic. I put down four four areas that help determine strategic missions. One, what is God already doing? Uh, you know, I come from a time where um, people would often promote missions by saying, "Hey, I'm going somewhere where nothing is going on there. God's not doing anything. I'm gonna I'm gonna be the first person." You ever see a little cartoon? This is is the Family Circus. I think it's Family Circus. Little kids, in a way. They're all climbing this mountain, and they're like, they're, you know, we're the first one to ever conquer this mountain. And you see the shadows of hundreds of others who conquered that same mountain, you know. And uh, in Christianity, we want to be, especially as Americans, we want to be the first one to plant the flag on the moon, right? We want to be the first one to say we're going where no one else has gone before. When in reality and mission, we should be asking ourselves, what is God doing? And how is he already clearly opening the doors? And what is God already doing in, in a place? And I think oftentimes we don't ask ourselves that question. We're not looking for answers in those areas. I've, and I've seen many ministries that work in uh, isolation thinking there's no one else. And I know that there's other works within the 30-minute radius, but they don't know of them because they're, they feel like they're working in isolation. As they, but they walk in there saying, what is God already doing? It helps me open the, my eyes to what God is doing then, of course, from there to be able to join him in the work that he's accomplishing. Second, providentially, what has God provided? Meaning what means, what resources has he given us to, to meet a need, to fulfill a purpose? Uh, I mean, I could have a lot of big dreams, uh, but when, when someone brings someone our way that has the right skill set, that has a language skill set, that has the right background, God brings these skill sets together, and God provides, and, and through that, Allows us to be more strategic in what we're doing with what God's given us. Third, what is the need? I put down here, as basic as, it, as basic as it sounds, many times that question is not asked from the missionary. The missionary goes already knowing what he will, he already knows what the medicine is before he even figures out what the what he's going to provide, before he even goes there and understands where he can best meet a need. So what is the need? Uh, what is God already doing? What has God provided? And then what, what is being done to facilitate making disciples? How is this, how can I be in a place where I'm going to be helping to fulfill the Great Commission, meaning to invest in, in the making of, of disciples and work towards that end? Page 55, I put down the uh, strategically, the four questions they asked that we saw there, then four phases. And I'm going to go over these four phases. We saw, I think, most of these, where you started into these last time. We'll start a little bit later on page 56 today. But basically what I mean by the going phase is these different phases that when you're involved in missions, I put down there's, you know, we broke down the ministry, we broke down the Great Commission in the going phase, the baptizing, teaching phase, making disciples phase, and then the post-disciple phase. What I mean, when I'm, when I'm involved in ministry, I want to figure out where as a church am I going to be pouring into ministry. Is this a going phase? Is it, are we going somewhere where there's, they haven't plowed the ground, there's nothing there, or there's really a, a, a fresh ministry, then you bring in those kind of skill sets. Or is it somewhere like, like Nepal? Nepal, in the past 20 years, has tremendously grown the evangelical church. So if I walk in there and think nothing's going on in Nepal, I'm either going there and plant my flag somewhere, I'm really missing what God's already doing. How can I come alongside the brothers there and their work, and how can I facilitate them and uh, help them in their ministry? I put down the last one here, the post-discipleship phase meaning ongoing, even in established works, uh, fields with established works. How can I come alongside those established works to help with training, help with resources sometimes? We have certain expertise we can bring to the table. Um, and so different phases are when I'm walking into ministry and, and knowing how can we uh, help whenever Michael and May may talk about going to Shanghai. Shanghai 
is in a post-discipleship phase. This church is already doing the work. They've already know how to expand, but they need help training their leaders for small groups. They need to, they're on this one level of training. They want to understand the origin languages. They want to understand, go deeper. So we can bring that kind of resources to the table. But I don't need to send Michael to Shanghai and say, boy, nothing's going on here. I'm going to start my own church here. I'm going to church plant in Shanghai. Uh, that's not being strategic with the resources we have and what God's already doing in that city. So you reproduce that over and over in the work that you're doing, and you start thinking through a lot more strategically in what uh, what God is doing and how we can be a, a part of that. So I want to jump to page 57. There's some notes here on on trusting the Lord and a few other thoughts on strategic missions, but I want to take a few minutes to, to describe what a healthy missionary looks like. After all, I mean, we talk about all these all these ministry aspects, and the big key component is going to be um, who do we send? What, what qualifies someone to be a missionary? We addressed early on in our notes, you know, not everyone is called to missions, not everyone is a missionary. What does that look like? Here are some key characteristics that we should be looking for in someone that we're going to send with the truth to carry to carry the gospel. So page 57C, what does a healthy missionary look like? The first obvious point from, from our notes should be a missionary is first and foremost a member of a local church. We're thinking, well, of course, that's so obvious. And I think you know from our discussions already how that is not obvious to many people and uh, uh talking to some of the boundless kids and you know they're, they're running a lot of, a lot of other friends at liberty and, and the missions and they start asking that question <laughs> about the church and you, you'd be amazed at the thought that there's a huge disconnect with the idea that being a missionary means you're connected to to a local church they those two pieces are have been totally uh separated so missionary is first and foremost a member of a local church i mentioned to you here a number of examples people coming to me for support first question who's your local church who's your sending church and that question baffles half the people i ask that come to me for mission to support without exaggeration half of them are are lost at that one question because they they've never anchored themselves in a church and it's it's amazing but that's just the the, the reality i said i put down here a missionary should be tied to the church either within the framework of a sending church or an indigenous church within a specific field of service, meaning, you know, if you're in, if you're in a seasoned place, well, you're in, you're in a mission field with a seasoned church and established church, established elders. You're working you're working within that framework, and you're supporting that that framework that's existing there. Either way, the church is always in view, and the church is always central to one's work. Um, I'm so hardwired this way that um, it'd be it'd be really difficult for me to support someone. Would encourage that we support someone who who's disconnected from from the local body, and so I say that because people sometimes recommend me their friends. Hey, you, should, you know, I sent you an email, and here's someone's prayer letter, and just know when someone does that, first question is looking at, well, where's who's their church? And if their church is not even mentioned on a prayer card, it's not even mentioned in a prayer letter, it's not even mentioned anywhere, then I already know this most likely means it's not significant enough for them to put that on as a as a centerpiece. And so I get not weekly, but almost weekly emails, uh, prayer cards, people recommending that we consider someone. The first question I want to ask is this, and uh, a proper understanding, I put down a proper understanding of the purpose and the function and the role of the church is foundational to anyone who would aspire to being a messenger of the church. If I'm going to send someone to be a messenger of the church, he has to understand the significance of what it means to be in part of of the church, and we should desire that, and we should want that as well, of course. Um, three three areas that I put down why the missionary needs a biblical understanding of the church. It should be obvious, but on top page fifty eight, I put three areas that should be significant. Why the missionary needs a biblical understanding of the church. One, the church gives a missionary his or job description by bringing clarity to the missionary mandate. Missionaries are ambassadors of Christ, messengers of the church. In other words, having a church. Gives that missionary his job description. The church is the one that sends that missionary on a mission. He's a messenger of the church. So the significance of understanding that role, uh, understanding the church, comes into play and him even understand what he's called to do uh, and the centrality of the church in that matter. 
Secondly, I put down the church gives the missionary the platform to promote the gospel by what it is proclaimed and by what it demonstrates, meaning that the church, uh, we, we saw the significance of the church and it's how it pictures the gospel, not only in its role of proclaiming truth, but in picturing that truth as well. And then I put down the church preserves the gospel. We saw the significance of the importance of the church being the guardian of and, and the pillar of, of truth. So we have a healthy missionary, and then I put down the second aspect is a, a, um, a healthy missionary first is, is affirmed by the church. And we've we described this at length in, in our understanding of the church. I put down the gifting and calling of a missionary are to be observed and affirmed by the church. This inevitably takes time. I mean, you can't have somebody come here and within three months, hey, I, would you affirm me? I mean, uh, I told one person, uh, you know, young people, again, the notion of time is not my notion of time, right? They think I've been here three months, and I've, I've worked in children's ministry for months, so I'm, I'm good to go, right? So, well, I might take a little more than that. Uh, it's, their, their notion of, and three, so they get back with me a month later. Now I'm helping with this. Am, am I good now? <laughs> it's like, well, let's give ourselves another month. You know, so it, a young person's notion of time is, is not the idea of being affirmed and being observed by the church uh, is something that takes, takes time. I put down it would be a mistake to send people cross-culturally that have not proven themselves within their immediate sphere of influence. The first thing you want to observe is, is their ability. How do they influence their immediate sphere of influence? How do they impact people here before I'm going to send them cross-culturally in an environment that's going to be a lot more oppressive? They won't have the same support network. They're not going to have the same familiarity. They have all these other things to overcome, and I expect them to be spiritual warriors when here they're 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 non-existent and they don't they don't engage in the spiritual battle here. So that necessity to be able to observe them takes takes some of that time. I said the goal of the church the goal should be for the church to send well prepared people abroad, knowing that they will face an onslaught of spiritual challenges. I do put down here. I understand it doesn't mean that it's kind of like expecting your your children to be, you know, all mature and everything before they get married. In other words, you know, you're not ready for marriage. What does that mean? Well, in other words, we want them to have all these, have achieved all these things before they get married. In reality, marriage is going to be a sanctifying. We had that discussion today at lunch, you know, they asked Chloe. Who's, you know, Chloe's my thinker, so she's my methodical girl. And, yeah, marriage is sanctifying. <laughs> so, Chloe, what do you mean by sanctifying? You know, I was like, you know, I got a discussion going pretty quickly, but... There, there are some things that you only learn through marriage that matures you when you arrive at that point. So there are things about the field that, of course, that you have to be there to experience it, to work through it, to, to, to live it, to grow and be strengthened. But nevertheless, we're still looking at sending people that are well-prepared and well-equipped to face, to face that task. Oh, I've, so many times we send someone because they have good intentions. They're motivated. They're, they're zealous. They want to charge the hill. They want to do all these things. And that's, that in and of itself is not enough to say, boy, they're equipped and they're prepared. So here I put down things that we should observe. And I want to ask you some of these things. When you see these, what are some of the things that um, – how do we observe these things? So look at the few things I put down here. First of all, I put down – first, we, here's the things that we should be able as a church to observe in someone – a passion for the lost. Second is humility and service. Unwavering trust in the sovereignty of God. Let me just stop with those three right there. How, how do we observe those things? How would you expect that we're able to observe these character traits in someone if we're going to affirm them as missionaries? How do we observe these first three here? A passion for the lost. Humility and service. Unwavering trust in the sovereignty of God. How do we observe these things? What are we looking for? Anybody? I think someone with a passion for the lost is obviously going to be involved in, in outreaches to the lost. And that means the ability to communicate. Right? To be, I mean, you can't be, you know, a turtle that's afraid to stick the head out of a shell. I mean, the reality is you're going to be overseas in a culture that's not yours, in a language that's not yours, people you don't know. 
You're not going to all of a sudden become a different person and be able to reach out to others when here you're to yourself. You don't know how to reach out to others, build those bridges, and of course with a desire to share the gospel. I'll give you an example. There's a, a couple that went to the church here a while back, and he he graduated from the seminary and said he wanted to be a pastor. Well, Marcia saw a, a young couple that she'd never seen before, and she tapped the young man on the shoulder and said, "Hey, they've never been here before. Why don't you go up and introduce yourself to and?" And uh, you know, find out a little bit, a little bit about them. And he didn't, he didn't want to do that. He was like, "No," nah. he said, "I'm not comfortable doing that." And Marcia said, "I thought you wanted to be a pastor." Well, he could stand behind a pulpit, I guess, is what he figured. I guess. I tell you what, missionary work involves the pulpit is such a small part of it. If you're not able to to reach and bridge those, uh, build those bridges and. I could observe that in Sunday school. You know, that, that person who in Sunday school is going over and greeting the new people. Hey, I don't know. Who are you? You know, that's that's a good indicator. Mark, I remember Mark telling me about his college days, Mark Warner here, and every time he's cafeteria, he's sitting down next to somebody new to meet somebody new. So I think by the end of the, you know, by the end of a semester or school year, you, you start knowing a lot of people. Why a desire to be with people and to know people and to minister to people and to love on people and to, to share the God. Is that how you met Carly? sit next to her and... Oh, okay. She was on a pedestal. Oh, she was <laughs> literally. <laughs> she led bands. So, uh, that's humility and service. A lot of people come to us and they want to teach. I mean, they know one thing: we're qualified to teach. Uh, and maybe they're maybe they have the building that way. But boy, if you're not willing to do. All the other things, just humility and service. And basically, the need is, I'll do whatever is needed, is a, is the mentality you need. And if you're going to go to the field and figure, I'm going to go to the field to teach, as opposed to going and do whatever is needed, and ministering whatever capacity is needed. I was telling one young man, I guess he was trying to set him up to, for a project, and he was like, I says, you know, maybe with these skill sets, you could help tutor this and help these guys and build bridges. He goes, well, I don't know if that's really a good use of my time. And maybe I could, I'd really like to be able to, you know, share the gospel. And I stopped him and said, listen, let me just tell you one thing. You have zero credibility. Zero. I embarrassed him a little bit. But like, they don't know you? Who are you? I mean, you know, words, the idea that you, the idea that your first stop before you even hit the ground, before I even send you over there is, uh, I don't know that's, if I really want to be involved in that. I want to be involved in something more important. I want to proclaim the gospel. I want to be out there what, preaching, teaching. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's that that predisposition is saying in all humility is 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 doing whatever is is needed. And of course, there's a place where you should be using your skill sets. I mean, if 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 uh, if someone has special skill set and knowledge in a certain area, you want him to be able to teach because that's where he's going to be be, be able to use his abilities. But second, it, the, the humility and service is so is so key. I put an unwavering trust in the sovereignty of God. Have you been able to observe in a person's life? In this, you know, there are a lot of things. Some people like, to, you know, in a lot of areas where we want to control things. I want to be in control. We don't, human nature is we don't feel comfortable with the unknown. We want to know what to expect. You know, we want to know, we want things to be predictable. That's our nature. No one here likes things being unpredictable. Well, guess, when you're on the field, things aren't unpredictable. Uh... Whether it be your very basic support system that's there, whether it be provision, I mean, there's so many, so many uncertainties. And if you haven't learned to just trust and rest in God and His own sovereign work in your life here, in this controlled environment, to place you somewhere where uh, the, the the work of the adversary is going to be more visible and more pressing, you do sense you do have a, you do sense the oppression when you're in a culture. That is dominated by idol worship. You know, when you walk to the streets of Kathmandu, like I've done, and you've seen these little idols in front of homes that offer food to gods, you feel that oppression. If I haven't learned to trust God in, in the small things in my life here, when my car breaks down, or when I get a little bit unhealthy, uh, the small things of life, how can I be placed in a, in a place of a much greater challenge and, and believe that I'm going to be, then I'm going to rely on Him at that moment in time? 
I put one that's important is, is pure motives, and I had a, uh, a student ask me just this past week about, she was asking me, how do I know my motives are, 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 are right? And I think it's a good question to ask, you know, what, what motivates or drives someone? So for, fourth point, bottom page 58, I put down pure motives. The missionary is to serve without selfish motives. Glorifying God is the one pure motive of missions. The motive for missions is not zeal, it's not passion or guilt, but a conviction that God is worthy to be known and God is worthy to be praised. I put down here, missions is not about rescuing a God unable to make it without man. It's not an opportunity to bring attention to oneself. It's not a search for affirmation or self-worth. It's not a desire to make a, a, make a difference for God. I mean, many... Boy, in our heart's desire, we want to make a difference for God. And there's a, there's a human nature, and it's not necessarily negative. There's a human part of us that wants to be useful. I think we should want to be useful for the kingdom. But there's this, this be careful, this idea that I'm going to go make a difference for God. Because then we interpret what we're doing as being significant or insignificant. This is important. Here I can make a real difference. And I don't want to do that because, I mean, you know, that's not going to make a real difference. So we've got to just be careful with how we, we juggle that. Uh, I put down it's not an opportunity for a missionary kid to return to a place of familiarity. Remember a missionary kid being interviewed once to go back to a country, and, the, and the, they were interviewing a missionary kid, and they asked him, says, you know, why are you, why are you going back? He says, well, that's, that's the place I know, the place I love. It wasn't about nothing in his testimony described missions, ministry, a heart for the lost. It was, it's the country I know and the country I love. Well, that's, it's got to be much more than that. And uh, so, and I went through those same challenges as a missionary kid going back to the field myself, so I understand that. But God can also use, of course, those giftings and abilities. Proper motives are what sustainability and missional pers- perseverance is built upon. I'm going to talk about a couple of parts in, in, in Scripture where we're motivated to exhort to make sure that our motives are pure. And I think someone who's a, who's a missionary who desires to be involved in ministry should be willing to put themselves in a position where their motives are tested. And that's uncomfortable because we're trained not to question someone who has a desire to serve. We're trained, uh, I addressed it once with one person, and they got offended that we would question someone's motives. I mean, the, the desire to serve should be sufficient. Well, I think there are underlying motives that we should be willing to challenge, and I think as a church we should do that. And I think someone has the right heart disposition. I think they would be willing to submit themselves to, to that as well. Sometimes you have people who want to they just want to serve God, and, it's, and that's 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 great. But it doesn't mean that you leap over here and and go unprepared in the wrong place just because you have a desire to be useful for God. So uh, I think we need to 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 have the courage to to examine these things. Put down these other areas, page fifty nine, that we should be looking for in a missionary. Put down uh, gifting for ministry. Uh, six, commitment to discipleship, uh, proven characters. Let me take this first two. Fifth, gifting for ministry and commitment to discipleship. We should be able to see, examine someone's gift and abilities. That person should ask them, what, what are my abilities, what are my giftings? Talk to a young person. A lot of young people have desired to be involved in missions. Will talk to me and discuss these things and ask, you know, well, what am, you need to identify your, your spiritual gifts and how to put those uh, to, to use it, but now nothing can be more frustrating than trying to serve in a capacity where one is not gifted or prepared. The church is to examine the giftings of an individual to ensure that he or she is equipped for the expected mission. Um, it's our task as a church to test them, to examine them, to help them know, hey, this is the right place for you. This is where you're going to be able to thrive because we see these spiritual qualities in you, these spiritual giftings in you. If you don't do that, you're setting them up for failure. Someone who, who someone who serves in the capacity where they're not truly gifted will be will find themselves exhausted at the task. They'll find themselves drained at the task. They'll find themselves discouraged at the task because they're not really gifted for that. So that's the area that we should be examining someone uh, missionary qualities. Two is a commitment to discipleship, not only to being a disciple but uh, someone who intentionally pours themselves in the life of others. We, we had that same thought when we're talking about elders. We, one of the first things we talk about, who's a good, who are good candidates for being an elder? Well, we're looking for someone who's already invested in people, who already has a heart for people, who already has a shepherd's heart. You don't go there and create somebody who's, who's not, not involved, not interested, and say, hey, would you be interested in being involved? No. You take someone who's already, they don't need a title. 
They do it because they love people, they love the Lord, and how are they already pouring into the life of others? I put down seventh is proven character. Proven character. A missionary needs to be a person of great character. I put down this I thought was helpful. The problem for the missionary is not finding a place to go. It is being the kind of person worth being there. Proven character. How do you how do you prove character? How do you find someone of proven character? What does it mean to have proven character? If I'm asking you to be on committee, hey, we're looking for someone of proven character to serve. How how do you what should you be observing? How they respond to pressure. I mean, sometimes you'll have somebody have a slip of the tongue. You know, they get, they're under pressure and they, they get angry. They, get, they say things they shouldn't be saying or they use language they shouldn't be using. And as if that slipped out. Well, the reality is, honestly, I don't have – I tell my kids, I don't have a slip of the tongue because I don't use those words. So even when I stub my toe, that word doesn't come out because that word – it's not part of my vocabulary. So when I hear young people sometimes, uh, they, they have these areas in their lives. They feel like, oh, that's just, you know, those are, like, like who's perfect? Well, it's not a question of perfection, but you want to be able to see how they've responded under pressure. Uh, did they respond well? Did they respond in anger? Did they respond in frustration when they're disappointed, when they don't get what they want, when they're asked to wait? When they're asked to, hey, maybe you're not ready, all these things are, are indicative of, of, of their character. Strong, godly character is going to be needed to weather the storms of ministry. Proven integrity will be needed to sustain the pressures of mission work. You want, you want men and women of proven character, proven integrity. It's going to be put to the test. It's going to be challenged. It's going to be it's that pressure cooker environment. Here, one of the greatest challenges I felt of, of missions is is self-discipline is one here i've got a schedule if i don't show up at the office beth mears you coming in this morning or uh so-and-so is waiting for you or uh or tonight tonight i was getting things ready and pastor Roy comes in are you coming to our meeting <laughs> i like skip my mind i have my schedule but i missed it and on the mission field you don't have schedules besides the one you make you get up because you you're driven to get up and do the work of the ministry and so you, I've seen missionaries addicted to online gaming because they have a lot of free time if they don't commit to ministry. And so they're hooked to online gaming, and they're so lost in it they don't realize how lost they are in it. They were inviting my kids to join them, and I had to go talk to them and say, listen, we don't get involved in those kind of games. And he was embarrassed, but he was so, he, he was so consumed by that, he didn't realize it was not normal. So you're, you, you stand there, you're going to send someone who's going to be, yes, they might be a teammate, they have accountability, but boy, by and large, you have to have someone who's going to stand up under pressure, and they need to be tested here. They need to be proven here. Um, so I, I'm, I talked to a young man who made an inappropriate joke, and he recognized it. But what he didn't recognize is that that speaks to his character. This has to be out of your system. You can't, you can't be having inappropriate jokes and think that you're ready for ministry. You're, you're, that, that runway is a lot longer than what you think it is. So it's, it's tough because people are not ready or they're not willing to, to take that long runway to be tested, to be proven, and to let the Lord work in their lives. But we, we should be having proven character Integrity, and it's, that can only be demonstrated through testing. Missionaries should not be a novice, as we see even for elders. And such character comes with experience, comes with time, and comes with trials. I find it interesting here, right? You see in the bottom of page 59, Paul praises Timothy for his proven character. After serving with him for 12 years, Paul spent nearly 10 years in preparation for being sent to Antioch, or by Antioch, rather. I'm saying our notion of time and preparation is is um, needs to include making sure that they've been tested and tried before we send them somewhere where they're going to be under such affliction. You'd be 
we talk a lot about sending people to the mission field. It's amazing the, the amounts of, not failure, but I think I put stats here a little bit later on. I'm, uh, on page 60, we talked a little bit about ABWE did a study of 40,000 missionaries from 600 different agencies. 43% quit the field prematurely. A lot of them have to do with integrity issues, character issues, failures, moral failures. Uh, the It's amazing how much energy we put in getting somebody over there to realize and afterwards the we don't look at the stats to see how successful we've been in, in maintaining them there and uh, what, what contributes to that. I put down the last two is a love for God. I put down a love for people is driven by a love for God, bottom of page 59. And then top of page 60, rather, is faithfulness. It's required of a steward that they be found faithful. Um, I, I mentioned this to you here with my father. My father, you know how your father has statements that you just, you just kind of stick with you. The one that sticks with me is him telling me, I'm not here because the French invited me. I'm here because God sent me. What it means by that is I'm here because I love the Lord first and foremost. So when you're facing with disappointment, rejection, then I'll receive the message. You're, you, I'm wasting my time. All these things that, that can fuel your thoughts. You remember, you're reminded I'm here because the Lord, first of all, first and foremost, because I love the Lord and I serve Him. And I'm here in that capacity. So in all these things, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm looking at someone saying, hey, I, I want to be a missionary, that's fantastic. You want to serve the Lord. Uh, here, here's a type of the quality traits, character traits, uh, faithfulness, uh, love for the Lord that you're, you're looking for to help them be, uh, prepare them and be successful in the task that is, that is before them. Bottom of page 60, obvious is here, a healthy missionary is affirmed by the church and is sent by the church. There's two aspects I'm looking for when I'm looking at a missionary. One, of course, if we're a sending church, then we take responsibility. We take responsibility for preparing, affirming, sending. If we're supporting someone, you see here under number two, up and down a church, we'll have missionaries they send from their own congregation. They'll have missionaries they simply, I say simply, quotation marks, support financially. But even those missionaries that support financially, a supporting church should be convictional about the role of a sending church. So even if I send my own, of course, we're convictional about making sure that we're putting that person in a place where they can, they've been tried, they've been prepared, they're in a place where they can be successful. Uh, that, once that is thought through, if we're just going to support someone like the bakers, we're going to support the bakers going to Kenya, and they, they just left here. Um, i trying to think if they flew out where in November. They're getting ready to leave here either way. But they're not our sending missionaries, but I'm still convictional about their sending church. So I'm still convictional that they're following the same principles that I would expect out of our missionary, and we do so by talking to their pastor, making sure all those things are, are in line. And I had a great, a great contact with their pastor and discussed a number of times, and we go back and forth. He says, hey, what's your thoughts about this? Do you think they're ready for this? And hopefully next summer I might have a chance to, to go to Kenya and, and visit with them. That would be my desire. And we'll go there as a church, and I go there on behalf of the sending church too. So um, a great part there as well. I put a few things here that we, we are going to fly, fly over because I want to get to a couple other things. I, I talk about establishing uh, intentional relationship with sending church, uh, and I talk about some of the stats here. My, I feel like part of the problem with missionary failure is the fact that they walk into the church issue backwards. Most missions begin do that missionary process backwards. They, they, they know where they want to go. They know what they want to do. They know which agency they want to use. Then they back into where the church is at in the process instead of reversing that process and starting with the church, allowing the church to affirm them and get them the solid ground they need to then to, to send them off. So I think that problem is backwards, and I think a lot of the, a lot of the problem, I don't, I don't have all the stats to demonstrate it. I just have a lot of study, a lot of reading, but a lot of the problems I see in missions are failure missions comes stems from the fact that they don't have the right foundation built with their church to begin with, and uh, that causes them to uh, not be where they should be or not be successful in what they're seeking to accomplish. So, a healthy missionary sent by the church, page 61. Um, I put one chapter on what's a healthy paramissional organization. To be clear, 
sometimes, and I'm, I, no doubt because of the way I've affirmed the church, I, I could affirm the church so much that people say I'm against organizations, and that's not the point at all, but I understand what they, why they could feel that way. But you make a point here of a couple of things. One is a healthy working, there are healthy working parameters that should allow both the church to fulfill its biblical obligations and allow the agency to fulfill its mission. Ultimately, the issue with organizations for me is simply this. I just seem to know as a church what I expect out of a missionary. That's all. If I, once I understand what an agency wants to do, how they function, I have questions here. I have parameters. I put down four parameters that I would want to look for in a mission agency. Uh, and these four parameters, I list them here on page 62. Here are four parameters I'm looking for. Are they, you know, they, how, what's the relationship with the church culturally? You know, how do they relate to the church? Uh, that has to do with how do they allow the church to be part of the process. So I've got questions I would, I would ask about that. Two, is there a theological congruency with, between the agency and the church? I'm not going to find an agency that's going to agree 100% with everything I agree with. Most of us don't, in here don't agree with everything, much less trying to find an agency that's going to agree. So it would be, it'd be silly, it would be awful naive to think I'm going to find an agency that's going to dot every uh, I and cross every T the way I would. But is there congruency there? Third, does the agency provide an adequate level of financial transparency? The, there's a French expression that says, le nerf de la guerre, which is like the nerve of the war, which means that the central part of the war is finances. Who controls the money? And does an agency have transparency on what they ask for, their budgets? Transparency is what I'm looking for with finances. Fourth, is the agency committed to fulfilling a great commission? There are many agencies who do a lot of good things. Is their primary thrust fulfilling a great commission? So those, those are four criteria I'm looking for in an agency that I would be able and willing to work with and use someone to work through, through the agency as well. So look on page 63, two last things here. Kind of concluding thoughts, you know, you think of we spent quite a few hours together going over these things, and there's no doubt still more that could be said. And two things, just read my conclusion, my concluding thoughts here. I put down on page 63 that the passion for this study was born out of love for Christ, love for his bride, and love for his mission. It would be easy, second paragraph, I said it would be easy to be disillusioned with the church when faith with its shortcomings incompetence, ineffectiveness, or even disobedience. And in doing so, one could lose sight of his beauty, his efficacy, his miraculous existence, his giftedness, his uniqueness, his power. The church, like each individual member, is being completed and being sanctified to be conformed to the image of Christ, and I trust we are as well. The last two paragraphs, I put down, as long as there are men and women in darkness, there will be a church that God uses to respond to the call of sending truth through faithful servants to the uttermost. The mission and its purpose and design is ultimately God's. The promise to build his church will find its completion when the last unbeliever answers the call and answers the fold. And with this promise comes the thrill of mission, not in that it might succeed, but in that it will. As the church sends missionaries, it follows in the footsteps of the Son of God who came to earth over 2,000 years ago, on a mission of redemption. I finished with Kevin, Young, Kevin DeYoung's statement. He says, God is a missionary God. The Bible is a missionary book. The gospel is a missionary message. The church is a missionary institution. May every believer be constrained by the love of God for his son and his bride as the church is found faithful to its calling of making disciples of all, of all nations. I'll be um, sending out... An, email um, to the church really I've got a number of areas people have asked about volunteering for missions and our time is really out now 604 maybe five minutes but there we have a missions committee that's really made up of volunteers who help promote uh, missions within the church one help with communications I'm going to list these. I've got, I've got two pages of outlines of, of how to get volunteers involved in, in missions in the church, and I want to be able to – I don't have these printed out. I'm going to think about how doing that for the church at large. But one, is the area of communications, keeping missionary news and updates before the church. Two, is a missionary-focused newsletter to send a, a monthly newsletter every six weeks updating on missions. 
A lot of missionary insights can be given there. Mission Focus Sunday to prepare and schedule and plan for that. Missionary Watch Care volunteers to help maintain communication with missionaries to ascertain needs as well as communicate church news. Mission Home Update, uh, Ed Crossett is the one who really runs point on that. He's been caring for our mission home. And then Missional Vision. So I've got, I've got five different areas here and, and 20 different areas where we could use 20, 20 volunteers to help really to do what? Help bring missions before the church, help get involved in missions, help uh, to be able to be exposed to missions, bring missionary needs before the church, to be able to, to pray, to be able to be involved. There's a lot that can be done. So I've got a, a significant, I've got a list here of uh, volunteer tasks. And um, you're welcome. If you, if you desire to be involved in missions and be involved in missions in the church, and how can you help? Uh, with that aspect of it, you, you're welcome to sign up here. You give me your name and email. I'll send you this list, and from there we can start seeing things that you feel you're gifted at and you can help with. And uh, that will be a godsend. Jacob helped me with the missions newsletter that we're putting together, so I've got others who want to come in and be a part of that. I know a lot of the boundless students are interested in being involved. I'll send that to them when they get back and uh, continue to to bring missions before the church and, and uh, do so for the glory of God. So appreciate your time. I know trying to bring, bring, in, bring in a lot of information uh, that is driven out of, of a passion and love for the Lord and love for his bride and love for his church. So it's going to be an exciting year. I'm excited to get Michael May May in Shanghai. I'm excited going to Taiwan to visit uh, Steve and Katie Smith. I'm excited going to see the bakers in Kenya. Uh, Excited to get Givinda back in Nepal and get him uh, back and forth there and, and uh, partnering with him closer as well. So task at hand remains, and uh, we as a church have uh, the God-given and God-blessed responsibility to, to follow that, so we'll do so. So thank you so much for your time. Father, we come to you in, uh, with heart of gratefulness, Lord. Lord, you have a desire and a task that's been given to us, Lord, a mandate to carry the gospel, to carry the good news of Jesus Christ. And so many times we look around and we see what we're not able to do. And we seem weak and we seem frail. And we are. But, Lord, you're not. And so I know from a human perspective, the church seems incapable of doing what it's been tasked to do. But from a from your perspective, is perfectly equipped to do what it's called to do. So, Lord, help us to be one of those churches that, that is found faithful. Help us, Lord, to have a, a desire to, to pray and, and lift up these needs in prayer, these missionaries in prayer, to invest, to send, to hold accountable, to pray for, and to do so, Lord, with due diligence, with accountability, with seriousness, with being strategic with the resources you've given to us, and but, Lord, being committed and being given to the task. We thank you, Lord, for our time together these past few weeks, the blessing of talking about missions. I've, I've enjoyed these times. It's been so refreshing for me to spend so much time talking about missions. I pray, Lord, now as we move forward that we might uh, build an army of volunteers ready to, to pour into ministry as well. And, Lord, even from this group, from this church, that you would rise up more and more servants for the harvest. So, Lord, we thank you for our time together. In your name we pray.